Well, um, most of the stories I tell you about my childhood are mostly true. Some of them I make up, but no, I'm just kidding. I'd not completely make up. You know, you have to change some facts here and there. But most of them I remember. And this morning, I, I, I don't remember this one, but I've heard my mom tell it enough times that, that I feel like I lived it out. But uh, it, it took place before I was even six years old, because when I was six, I moved from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Kansas. And so this happened in Pittsburgh at a big department store. I don't know the name of the department store, and it doesn't really matter, but... My mom's story is it was this huge department store, and I do have remember having a fascination. Some of you remember the clothes racks used to be the big circular clothes racks, and you could go through the clothes and get into the middle, and you could hide from everybody else in the store. They couldn't see you in there. And so I remember doing that, and in this particular time, I was with my mom and my older brother, Rob, and we were in this big department store, and I decided I was going to go into one of these clothes racks and hide in the middle, and I did that. I have no idea how long I was in there, but my mom had gone into a complete panic. She couldn't find me anywhere in the store. My brother, and this is my favorite part of the whole story, was crying. He was so upset that I was lost. And I, and I love that because the rest of my life, he was wishing I was lost. And so this one moment in time, he was sad that I was lost. And, and as they're looking for me, they go up to the to the front of the store, and they said, we've lost our son. Could you please help us find their son? And, and, you know, and there's kind of a panic. And at one point, they brought my mom another kid to, to see if this was the lost son. Isn't that not hilarious? Some other kid, I don't know if they took him from the mom or what happened, but or he was lost too, and they brought him. Nope, not the right one. She's probably every once in a while thinks, I should have taken that kid while I had a chance. But anyway, they kept looking. Eventually, they found me. My brother was in hysterics, crying, and, and there I was. I was the lost son that was finally found, right? And, and today, I want to talk about Basically, lost things, Jesus and the lost. And, and we're going to start, it's going to be basically Luke chapter 15, the whole, the whole chapter. And we're going to look at three different stories that Jesus tells in response to something the Pharisees accused him of. And this is how it begins. Luke 15, 1 and 2 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here we have the setting. We have Jesus. He's teaching. And who's he teaching? He's teaching sinners and tax collectors. And standing outside of this watching is the picture that I have. You have the religious leaders. Those that, that know the Bible inside out, they know the laws, they know all of that, and they are muttering, they're, they're disgusted with Jesus, this so-called rabbi who's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And, and, and not only is he eating with these people, these lowest parts of society, uh, not only has he welcomed them, but he's also eating with them. And so that second statement, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, it's one thing to welcome them, it's a whole other thing to eat with them in that culture. And so in the Middle East, if there was a noble man, a well-to-do man, he might welcome a tax collector or lower part of society and feed them, but he would never sit down and eat with them. That is lowering himself. So he might be kind and feed them, but he would never sit down. And so Jesus not only welcomes them, but he sits and eats with them. It may not seem like a big deal in our society, but in the Middle East, 
if you host somebody at your place and you welcome them and you eat with them, you are basically saying, this guest of mine is honored. I, I am honored to have this guest with me. In fact, the meal would start off with the host talking about the honor of these people coming to eat with him and how privileged he is to have them here. In fact, there's a, a theologian, his name is Jacoam Jeremias, and he says, to understand what Jesus was doing in eating with sinners, it is important to realize that in the East, even today, to invite a man to a meal is an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. Sharing a meal meant sharing life. And, and so just hearing that right then and there, you, you go, wow. So Jesus is sitting with tax collectors. And tax collectors, just so you know, they, they were looked at as traitors by the Jewish people. Because they were Jewish, but they worked for the Roman government. And they often cheated their own people into collecting taxes. So they were looked at very poorly. And then sinners, those were probably people outside the Jewish faith or just had done horrible things, are gathered here with Jesus. And in that, he's offering peace, trust, brotherhood, forgiveness to sinners and tax collectors. You can see why the Pharisees would be upset with him. Uh, but uh, Jeremiah says this, so Jesus eating with sinners is an expression of his mission and his message. That is so important to what we're going to talk about today. That Jesus' mission, his, his purpose for coming was to find the sinners and the tax collectors and all of us, right? And, and so here we have the beginning of this parable, the setting and then Jesus tells a parable, tells these stories. So he's basically defending what he's doing. He's explaining why he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. So the first story he tells is about a lost sheep. I'm just going to read it to you. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so Jesus is telling a story of sheep, which is very common in those days, very tied to a lot of the passages in the Old Testament. We have Psalm 23, popular today, would have been popular when it basically says, the Lord is my shepherd. So the shepherd in that is God. And so Quite often when you refer to shepherds, it was either a leader of the Israelite people or God himself. Jeremiah 23 is very important to the story of the lost sheep. Jeremiah 23 talks about how the leaders of Israel had failed the people. And they'd let the people wander away from the faith. And God says this to those leaders in Jeremiah 23, 3. He says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and, and will bring them back to their pasture. What, what God is telling the leaders of Israel is you have failed. And so I'm going to have to send my son Jesus and he's going to have to come and gather them up because you have let them down. As Jesus telling this story, there's a good chance that the Pharisees knew that he was referring to Jeremiah 23, that he was telling them, I have to do this because you 
have not. You've let down God himself. And so the religious leaders would not have been smiling at Jesus. They very rarely ever smiled at Jesus, and I'm guessing. But this would have been like a slap in the face to them. And so now we go on to the second story. And this is about a lost coin. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, a very common story in those days. Women actually wore necklaces. I didn't know that till this week. They wore necklaces that had coins on them. Sometimes it was their dowry that would be given away to their future husband and, and his family. But, but these, these necklaces that would have had the coins on them were family heirlooms. So losing one of those wasn't just, oh, man, my necklace isn't right. It's like, oh, this is a tragedy. This is, this is precious to me, more than just monetary. And so, so the... The diligence in this, this woman trying to get back what is lost was vitally important to her. Now, in each of these two stories that we have so far, we have something that's valuable that gets lost. Uh, the lost thing is found, and then there's a joyous celebration over finding the lost thing. It's pretty simple stuff, really. And, and, and so the sheep and the coins, and this is just interesting to me, I was just trying to think about sheep and coins, they usually don't get lost on purpose. They're not like me in the department store running and hiding in the middle of the clothes rack. They just end up lost. A coin doesn't know it's lost. It's just lost. A sheep probably knows it's lost, but it probably didn't want to do it on purpose. They don't want to leave the fold. They want to be with the other sheep. And so when you look at these first two, you see people that don't even know they're lost. And, and Jesus is sitting with who? The sinners and the tax collectors. And they don't even know they're lost. But yet Jesus is there. Why? Because they need to be found. And each of these stories, including the third one we're going to talk about here in ju just a second, there's three themes that I think are very important. The first one is joy. Uh, the, the shepherd and the woman, they have joy when they found what was lost. God has joy when he finds us. And then there's this grace-filled love that they're looking for the sheep. They're looking for the coin. They're not angry at it for being lost. They want it back so desperately. It's this grace-filled love. And then there's repentance. And in both of them, it's assumed, because obviously a coin can't purposely repent. A sheep might be, feel bad for being lost, but he can't really repent. And in both of these, it's said that they have repented, that they've come back. They were found, they've repented. There's this celebration, there's this joy in this. And so uh, as Jesus is telling the leaders this, uh, the religious leaders, he's making sure they understand that his purpose is not just to come and teach, but to find what is lost, to bring what is lost back home because God loves the lost. Now, the next story is really the biggest one, and, and it's kind of the pinnacle of all of these as Jesus defends his position, and, and this one is different. Uh, this is actually about a man that has two sons, and the man who's the main character of this story would have been wealthy. He would have, 
He would have had land, he had servants, he would have been well-renowned in his village where he lived. He, he's probably assumed to be a very religious, good Jewish man. Unlike the first two stories, which was a shepherd and a, a woman, which would not have been the highest parts of society, this main character is a highly esteemed man. And what happens in this story, and it's found in Luke 15, 11 through 32, and I'm just going to tell you the basic gist of this story. But the man has two sons. The two sons come to him, or actually one son comes to him, the younger one. And the younger one says, Dad, I want my inheritance from you now, even before you die. Which would not have been a common thing to ask, but he asks it. And then the dad surprisingly says, okay, son, I'll give you my inheritance. In fact, he takes the inheritance, he splits it in half, gives one to the older, half to the older son, half to the younger son. The younger son takes this inheritance, and in a couple days, he plans a trip to Vegas, or a Vegas-type place, right? And he goes to Vegas, and he gambles away all his money, loses it all, and basically it says, on wild living. He was doing all the things you know you're not supposed to do, right? And it's not mentioned because when you, isn't it you go to Vegas, stays in Vegas, whatever. So it's not mentioned, just wild living, okay? There we have it. So he's lost all his money. And a famine comes over this land that he'd moved to. Now he has nothing. He's desperate. He goes to a, a farmer and he gets a job. And, the, jo and the, the farmer hires him to tend to the pigs. And he has to go and he has to feed the pigs. And he is so hungry at one point that he's looking at what he's feeding the pigs. And he just wants to eat the pig food. That's how low he was. And so this is a picture. He is as low as he can get as a human being at this point, especially from where he came from, a wealthy family. So he makes a plan. So if I can just go home, beg my dad, tell him I, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. Would you please... Would you please forgive me and just hire me as a servant? And, and so that's his, that's his only hope, really. Because once he left, there's no coming back in that society. So he makes the plan and he starts for home. And just before he gets to the village where they live, the dad sees him. The dad runs out of the house, runs across his land, runs through the village, and he greets the son with a kiss, and he is so happy to see him that he throws this big celebration for him. He gives him his robe. He gives him rings for his finger. They, they, they cook up a big cow, and they, they, have, they have a feast. And this, the dad is so happy. But now, meanwhile, while they're celebrating the son coming home, the older son, remember he got the other half of the inheritance. He's been there the whole time. But he's out working like a good son does, right? He's out, he's, he's slaving away. The end of his days come and he's walking back to the house. And as he's getting closer, he hears this feast happening, this celebration. He's so confused. What, what is going on? And as he gets a little closer, he finds a servant and says, what's, what's happening here? What, did I miss something? And the servant goes, oh, no, great news. Your little brother came home. And, and he's home and your dad... Your dad's throwing this big celebration because he's come home. Isn't that great news? And the big brother is furious. Here he was working in the field. He's never left. He still has his inheritance. He still has, he's followed the rules the entire time. And now this little scumbag of a brother comes home and now they're throwing a party for him. And he won't come in. He refuses to go into the house, which is a sign of, I don't approve of this. The dad comes out of the house to the son. Says, hey, son, come in. Let's celebrate your brother. And the, 
the older son says, I'm not going to celebrate him. He, he went and squandered all the money you gave him. And, and, and now he comes home and you do this? And he refuses to go in. And the dad finishes with this, listen, your brother was dead. And now he's alive. Your brother was lost and now he's found. But this older son refuses to ever go into the house. And that's where the stories of Jesus wrap up. Remember, he's defending eating with the sinners, eating with the tax collectors. And so now we have this picture of this, not the, the shepherd and a sheep, not a woman and a lost coin, but this is more of a picture of the Pharisees themselves, that most of them were wealthy. They were born into the right families. They had education. They were very much like the dad and the sons in this picture. They would have recognized this and understood this. And so as you look into this, the very first thing that's asked of the dad is, hey, dad, I want my inheritance before you die. So even today, the back then was even worse. If you would go and ask your dad, hey, dad, I know you're wealthy. And before you die, can you just give me my part of the money? But basically what he was saying is, dad, I wish you were dead and I want my money. And, and it would have never been accepted. And that's one thing we need to understand. If this would have happened, the dad would have slapped the son. He would have most likely kicked the son out of the house and said, you're never welcome to come back. You're no longer my son. That would have been the, I, really the thing that would have happened. Uh, but, but he gives him the inheritance. And not just to the younger son, but he splits it and gives it to the older son too. The younger son goes out and takes this money, this hard-earned family money that's been passed down from generation to generation, and he goes out and he wastes it all. And, and he does it not in Israel, not in Jerusalem, but he's doing it out in foreign lands. He's squandering it, doing horrible things. And so now you have this disgraceful son who's pushed down so low, has, has degraded himself so much that now he gets a job in a pig farm. And he has to feed the pigs. And, and he wants what the pigs are eating. And what you need to understand here is the Jewish people thought the pigs were unclean. They were the most unclean animal. And so here the Jewish people are hearing this story that he is attending to pigs. He even wants to eat what the pigs are eating. I mean, this is the most exaggerated, unrealistic story you could possibly tell these people. And, and they're listening to this going, this son is the worst human being I've ever seen. He should just be killed. He should be not even talked about in their society. And, and so here Jesus is describing the worst possible person. And now this horrible kid is going to come home. And now when he comes home, his rights as a son have, are, are over. Most likely he wouldn't be allowed back in the house but in some villages, he wouldn't even be allowed back in the village. When he would have come walking in, there were villages that would have literally started a mob and, and at best harassed him and beat him and humiliated him. And worse, they could have even killed him. They would have had that right as a village because this son was the worst of the worst. And so as the son is walking towards the village, dad sees him and he runs to them through the village or through the, his fields, through the village. And before he gets to the village, he greets him with this kiss. And, and he greets him with this celebration, which is unheard of. But why in the world would you do that? Why would you, you do this to your son that has literally disowned you? Well, the father would have known what the village 
would have done. He would have known how he would have been greeted. But the biggest part is men in the Middle East, they don't run. They don't run. They walk. They're distinguished. First of all, they had those little dress-looking things. They would have had to scoop it all up and, and run, try to run with their little dress on, which would look awkward all in itself. But just in that society, men didn't run. So you have to understand, this dad humiliated himself to protect his son. He saw his son, and he went to his, he met the son where he was, humiliated himself, and then he throws this party for the son. And, and in this, the, the son, if you remember as the story's going on, the son's, hey, I just want to be your hired hand. But the dad says, hey, we're throwing this huge celebration. He doesn't even have to come back as a hired hand. He gets to come back as the son, the same way he left. <laughs> now, they get back there, and you have the older son. The older son, he's out in the fields. He's working. He's the one that followed the rules. He never left. But he's angry. He's so angry because this little brother, he broke all the rules. He did everything wrong. He was the spoiled kid. And now there's a celebration. I don't get a celebration. I mean, we can all put ourselves in that picture, right? And go, I I'm with the older brother on this one. Okay, I, I get it. I mean, he, he deserves to be angry. But the dad comes out to him too. That's uh, the men in those villages that... The dad had this prestigiousness about him. He didn't go to a son. Son came to him. But he goes out of the house again, just like he did for the first son. Walks out of the house again, goes to his son and says, please, come in. Celebrate with me. But this older brother, who really is a picture of the Pharisees, a picture of the religious leader, says, no, I don't want to celebrate with you. I'm not going to eat with that sinner I, I'm, I'm not going to be part of this. And he, he knew all the answers. He, he grew up in the home, but he refused to go into the home. He refused to enter in back into a relationship with his own father. It's almost he stepped away from the relationship because the father was willing to forgive. And you can see as Jesus tells these stories, each one of them builds a little bit on the next one. And each and every one of them is a picture of what God is willing to do for you and I. What he will do with the humiliation, the humiliation he will go through. Obviously, Jesus on the cross, being slapped, spit on, hung on a cross, and died for you and I. Why? Because we were lost. Some of us didn't even know we were lost. You know, I, I look back at, at, my, at my growing up years and, and when I became a teenager and went to college, I don't think I even really knew that I was lost until all of a sudden in church one night it hit me, I need Jesus. <laughs> a, a couple weeks ago, I got to go up to Hume Lake football camps and I used to go up there and speak to the, the football teams. And it's my favorite thing to do. It'd be 450 to 500 high school football players, all from public schools, and, and their coaches bring them up there, and they practice football and play all kinds of team-building games, a lot of testosterone flowing, a lot of fights happening, and stuff like that. I love every minute of it. It's, it's amazing. And, and, and you get to experience all that, and then on Saturday morning, I get 10 minutes, no more than 10 minutes. And, and the, they even tell them at Hume Lake, 
they tell the kids, you don't have to stay. We can't make you stay for this. You know, he's going to be talking about Jesus. You're welcome to leave. No, I didn't see any kids leave. Ten minutes, get to talk to him about Jesus. The rest of that day is fighting and competing and all that stuff. And then the next morning, they come back in on Sunday morning. I get ten more minutes, and I give them just a clear presentation of who Jesus is and that Jesus loves them. And if they, they can be in a relationship, it's a very simple message. And you have to think about this, okay? High school football players are high school football players. They are there, and they're around all their friends. And, and there's, this, there's this, this coolness, or there's something about it. And, and yet, when you talk about Jesus in the midst, to all these kids, that a lot of them have no clue. They don't even own a Bible. But they listen. And at the end of it, I, I simply just said, if you want to follow Jesus, stand up, and then we'll meet with you when this is all over. And there's 450 kids, and 81 of them stood up in front of their friends. Some of them all by themselves at their table, others a whole table. And then when it's all over, the, the other kids all leave, and 81 of them come up. And me and the staff, we just pray with them and give them Bibles and, and talk to them. And it is amazing. Some of them know they're lost. Others didn't even realize it. But every one of them that day got found. And it's amazing to me how God will work through so many situations in so many ways to find us. Every one of us is a story how we were lost we were found we could be the the older brother we still have to be found we still have to choose to enter the house i'm going to pray for us i'm just, I'm just going to give us a minute or two of just silence because i think god meets us right where we are and in this time just it's just between you and god what's he saying to you this morning Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for desperately searching for us. For wanting, wanting to be with us, wanting to, to be in heaven with us. We praise you for that. My prayer for us is not only would we be found, but we would have that same love. For those that are lost. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that needs, that needs you, that needs to come into that relationship with you, I pray, Lord, that they would do that this morning. Give them the courage to follow you. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.